Are you intimidated by the book of Revelation? If your answer is yes, you're not alone. Many, if not most, Christians are right there with you. And yet, Bible teacher Nancy Guthrie doesn't think you should be. In our conversation today, I'm sitting down with Nancy to talk about why the book of Revelation is actually more accessible, more timely, and more encouraging than you probably know. Nancy's new book is called Blessed, Experiencing the Promise of the Book of Revelation from Crossway. She also has a brand new podcast with Crossway dedicated to exploring the ins and outs of Revelation through interviews with respected Bible teachers, Bible scholars, and church leaders. You can hear the first episode from that new show right here on the Crossway podcast on Wednesday, May 4th. Learn more and subscribe by visiting crossway.org slash blessed podcast. That's crossway.org slash blessed podcast. Let's get started. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining me again on the Crossway Podcast. So happy to be with you and your listeners. This is fun. Yeah, and we get to do this in person uh, today. I know, that's pretty cool. Which is very special. Uh, So you're a well-known Bible teacher. You've written many books, including many Bible studies. Uh, You speak at conferences around the world, uh, throughout the U.S. You even had a podcast uh, called Help Me Teach the Bible. Um, But even with all of that, kind of under your belt, all that experience in the Bible, Can you resonate with what I think most of us tend to feel when we think about the book of Revelation, namely a sense of intimidation? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, You know, my book is just coming out and I'm I'm still thinking to myself, I can't believe you did this. Uh. (laughs) Maybe it was crazy of you to do this. Uh, I I well remember about 15 years ago when we were going to study Revelation at my church and they asked me if I would help to teach and I just wanted to say no. Mm. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I should read the book before I say no. (laughs) So, you know, I started reading it and uh, right there at the beginning, I hear this in, in chapter one, verse three, is this promise that those who read and those who hear and keep what are, is written in this book will be blessed. And I just remember thinking to myself, is there a blessing from God that I would ever want to just say, "Mm, don't need that. Mm. Don't need that. Yeah. And so maybe I ought to invest myself in seeking to really hear this book. But getting back to your original question, you know, are are people intimidated and am I intimidated? I, I think I have to blame something about our modern culture and it's, approach to revelation i don't know if it's always been this way but you know in my growing up years and in recent years i mean so much that's presented about revelation is so uh fraught with controversy and with you know this futuristic prophecy and you know charts and strange pictures there's so much about it that can just really be off-putting. Yeah. And so honestly, as I approached Revelation, I was just, I was like, I want to get at what is the message of this book that is clear and understandable. And mm. so that was my aim. And I, I actually think, Matt, that, you know, I started in 
thinking, fearing that I wouldn't be able to understand it, let alone teach it to so, someone so even else. even as you started studying and writing for this book, you still weren't confident that you could totally grasp what it was saying. Well, I wouldn't say that because I am convinced of the perspicuity of Scripture. That's a big word you just threw out there. I what know. does that mean? I am convinced that Scripture is understandable mm. for the ordinary person. Uh, the Bible wasn't written for scholars. Now, what's amazing about the Bible is that it has such depth and um, it, it's, it's so beautifully and well-written that actually it presents a challenge to the greatest of scholarly minds. I, I think of the Bible as the one book that's worth spending a whole lifetime mm. seeking to understand. And, yeah. and, and I fully believe that if I do spend a lifetime study, I will never get to a point where I like so totally the own thing, own the thing, you know, that there's nothing left to learn or discover. Well, I mean, and, and, and it's a living book. It's alive. And you have kind of spent a, a good chunk of your lifetime devoted to studying the Bible. And, and I and just have so much to learn. And I was going to say, so the, you think, I can imagine some people thinking, if I did that, yeah, maybe she would be kind of getting to the point where now she feels a little bit like she's tapped tapped it out and she's sort of gotten she's getting a little bit bored with maybe uh that work no 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 uh revelation was thrilling for me to dive into you know and as i said you know i was afraid that maybe i wouldn't be able to understand it be and when i say that i'm talking about understanding it well enough and confidently enough to then present it to mm. someone else confidently. That's a whole so other th level. That's a whole whole nother level, exactly. <laughs> um, and but here's the thing I discovered that while while we might think the biggest challenge of Revelation is going to be understanding it, I think actually the biggest challenge of Revelation is that we do understand it, and the biggest challenge is then to make the adjustments in our lives that are needed to live in light mm, of it mm. to do just what it has said there in chapter one verse three where it says blessed are those who who read it and those who hear and keep what is written in it and so that hearing and keeping it and that, that was a big part of my book every i think people think of revelation as a book that isn't practical maybe yeah. that's an, another reason they avoid it and i actually think revelation is incredibly practical for anyone living in the first century or living in this century, anyone who is uh, ever tempted to cower in our, the boldness of our witness and our allegiance to Jesus Christ, this book is for us. It's calling us to patient endurance, to be willing to risk everything on allegiance to Christ. Um, it's for us in terms of its call to refuse to compromise with the world. I mean, the people, John's original audience, they were living where there were certain comforts of just kind of going with the flow with Rome and, you know, giving a token to the pagan gods uh, in their in their business lives. And it just would be easier to just go with the flow with that. And Revelation is calling them to not compromise. And, but isn't that us? Aren't there lots of ways we could be tempted to just not rock the boat? Yeah. We think it's not really that big of a deal. And I think Revelation convinces us otherwise, that we really have to examine our lives for 
compromises that we're making for our material comfort and to be accepted by the world. Um, so I, I've just found revelation to be personally incredibly challenging. Yeah. Well, and even the title of the book that you, you chose, Blessed, uh, you just referenced that a minute ago. That is uh, maybe a theme, this idea of blessing, perhaps, in this book of Revelation. It's not probably the first thing that we think of when we think of this book. We think of a lot of other stuff. Well, I but, hope you do now. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> well, now we do. Read read the book and you will. Mm -hmm. But yeah, explain a little bit why you think that idea of blessing is so central to yeah. this book. Well, a couple of different answers. So, first of all, like when we think about Beatitudes... Our first thought is Matthew 5, right? right? You got these beatitudes. Well, Revelation has its own set of beatitudes. And if, if you've been in Revelation at all, you're not surprised to learn that there are actually seven blessed are those statements, very mm -hmm. similar to Matthew. Uh, blessed are those, that, there's that first one, those who read, those who hear and keep what is written in this book. We'll read later, uh, you know, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Well, that's kind of even counterintuitive, mm. isn't it? In terms of the way we think about blessing. Yeah. Um, blessed are those who've washed their robes, uh, who've been invited to eat from the tree of life. So uh, blessedness is at the heart of revelation. And to me, in a sense, it makes sense that the Bible would end with a book about what it's going to mean to enter into blessedness because I think about the way the Bible begins. The Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1 over and over again as God creates he blesses it he calls it good and you get this sense that the original creation was just an atmosphere of blessing but then the big crisis of the Bible happens in Genesis chapter three, and it's defined how by a curse, the opposite of blessing. Now, we're also given hope for how this curse is going to be dealt with when the curse is put on the serpent, and he says, I'm gonna put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head, you will crush his heel. We discover that the way this curse is going to be dealt with is through the suffering of an offspring of the woman. And so throughout the, the, throughout the Bible, we're watching for that person. And we're just also watching for, is this world, is the atmosphere of this world now consigned forever to being cursed? Mm. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and we discover, no, because God goes to this one man, Abraham, and he says... I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to give you a land. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Oh, so now it's going to be one of his offspring. We discover how this is going to happen. And we discover, no, God hasn't consigned the world to curse forever. He's breaking into it with blessing. But as you continue to read the Old Testament, honestly, Matt, you know, it's, it's still, in fact, the Old Testament ends, the book of Malachi ends, it's, it's with the word, which could be translated cursed. I mean, when the Old Testament ends, the curse mm. has not been dealt yeah, with. front and center. 
it takes until it's, it's said most clearly in Galatians 3, where it says that Christ became a curse for us. And then 3, 13 and 14, so that we might enjoy the blessing of Abraham. So here on the cross, we know Jesus has done everything to deal with the curse. And yet we still live in this world impacted by the curse. We get to Romans chapter 8. We find that all creation is longing, is groaning, waiting for... Um, the revelation of the sons of God, they're, they're waiting to be set free from this bondage to corruption. In other words, set free from the curse. And so when we get to the book of Revelation, here we're finding out here, this is what, this is what it's going to take. And this is what the world is going to be like. And this is who the people are who are going to enter into the blessing that God has been at work to bring about ever since the curse happened in the Garden of Eden. And so we find out who are the people who are going to be blessed. And we see again and again, they are people who have taken hold of Jesus Christ by faith. The Christ who lived and died and rose again. And they have bound their lives to him and the spirit has bound them to Christ in such a way that their lives reflect the suffering of the present life and will reflect the glory of the future life of Jesus. And so this book, the book of Revelation ends with a picture of the new creation and, and, and all of the ways it describes the new creation fill us with a sense of what it really means to be blessed. It's going to become the environment that we live in for eternity future. We read in Revelation 22, 6, no longer will anything be accursed. Mm. Curse is gone for good. Blessing is this new environment that we will live in. And so I suppose that's part of why I, 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 named the book blessed because it does contain these seven statements of blessing. Mm. Yeah, I love that you just provided us with this really wonderful summary of salvation history going back to the garden which uh, side note you just, just a couple books ago with Crossway you wrote a book called Even Better Than Eden that is uh, unpacking uh, some of these things back in the book of Genesis and now you've kind of uh, put the other cap on the end of this with this book on Revelation. But I want to talk about that curse a little bit more. You have this line that's kind of deep in the middle of this new book that really stood out to me as maybe particularly timely today. You write, we are bombarded by scenes of bombings in the heart of major cities. Refugees risking their lives to escape poverty and danger. News reports about deadly viruses, killer bees, natural disasters, polluted waters, nuclear weapons, cyber attacks, and civil unrest. And we now know we're vulnerable. And obviously that rings so true right now in our world today. Uh, but then you go on to say, but that vulnerability has an expiration date. Well, help us understand how the book of Revelation speaks to that. Mm. I don't remember writing that, so I'm glad you read <laughs> that to me. And, and I just I almost feel it new, like good news. Yeah. Um, because it's true, even now. I mean, what we, 
what we're seeing on the news every night, I can almost not bear mm. to see some of what's going on in the news, right? And to be clear, you wrote this probably over a year ago now, before yes. the, the most recent. Yeah, conflict. I was writing it in the middle of, you know, the pullout in Afghanistan and had a friend that I had met a couple of years before who was a pastor's wife and she and her husband were running from the Taliban. Mm. And honestly, I didn't. I often thought that they would not make it out alive during that time. I mean, they were hiding, they were getting shot at. I mean, it was just, so that made the whole message of revelation and the bold allegiance for Jesus Christ, perhaps costing us, costing a person your life, mm. made that very real to me yeah. as I was reading that. But um, getting back to your question about that that picture um, and, and the beautiful promise that that kind of vulnerability has an expiration date. I mean, you know, we just we live in a world that is filled with so much cruelty and injustice and suffering. And honestly, through a lot of revelation, we see just more of that. Uh, the unjust, the unjust way believers are slain. For, for their allegiance for, to Jesus? For a lot of the book, it's surprising as you read it afresh. A lot of the book, it seems like God's enemies are prevailing. And that's that's the, a fascinating thing about the book because it's that's how it looks from a human standpoint, from an earthly standpoint. But one of the big ahas of Revelation is what it's giving us in this vision. It, it's presenting it to us from heaven's vantage point. And so... It wants us to understand that what looks like defeat to the world is actually victory. And we actually need revelation to show us that. And by that, I mean the book as well as the larger uh, reality of we need divine revelation to reveal to us that this world is not all there is. And this life is not all there is. And, you know, over and over again in Revelation, it, it's calling people to overcome it speaks of those who overcome, those who conquer. And what's mystifying is actually those these people who overcome, quite often in Revelation, they're being slain. Mm. And so if you've got only the world's vantage point to look at that from, that just that just sounds like a, a that cannot be victorious. They they've truly been overcome. But that's what Revelation does. It says, no, they are the actually the ones who overcome. And on what basis? Because while they may lose their life in this world, Revelation shows us a picture of them being protected under the altar of God, them being sheltered by this shepherd, by them calling out to Christ saying, how long, you know, until you deal with this evil and how how long till we are vindicated and then we get this picture of Christ coming to accomplish that vindication and we hear them celebrating his justice and righteousness that finally he is is vindicating their deaths and we we get to see him come as a victorious king and he as he cleanses away the evil in this world and then bring his people into this new creation 
And when you get to those descriptions of the new creation, especially I'm thinking about Revelation 21, you read about, you know, John uses a number of a number of images that have been used throughout the Bible to describe the new creation. And all of them show us kind of the realities of that from a different angle. Uh, he shows it to us in terms of a marriage and in terms of inheritance and in terms of a city and a temple and a garden. But as we look at this city, and it gives us all this detail about it, and he talks about the walls of the city and the foundations of the city, and you get the sense as you read it that this will be a perfectly secure city. He says nothing ever evil's going to ever enter it, and that makes us think about the first garden, that mm. something evil entered it. Yeah. Adam and Eve were vulnerable there. They were vulnerable to evil. They were vulnerable to deception. They were vulnerable to death. But here we learn about this new garden city temple, as Greg Beale would call it. And when we enter into this place, all the imagery that, he, that John uses in Revelation 21, it seems to communicate to us a profound security. We realize, yeah, the vulnerability of life in this world as it is now does have an expiration date because we're going to enter into this new creation where nothing will ever harm God's people again. Mm -hmm. That's such a, a helpful segue into another thing that one of the maybe dominant things that makes the book of Revelation feel so intimidating to us is these are these visual pictures that we get in this book, this picture of a city coming down from heaven, this this massive city. And we spend all of our time so often trying to figure out like, so how many miles across would that be? And is it is it a cube or is it some kind of other, th you know, and, and yet we maybe miss the the, the deeper significance that's there, that's actually the, the point of these images. And that kind of brings us to this genre of the book of Revelation, this apocalyptic genre, as it's often called. So what's the deal with that? How, how should we approach this genre and the unique, vivid imagery that we see there? What's the baseline understanding that we should have as we start reading? Well, I think bottom line is we, we realize, okay, this is going to require some different skills from me as a reader than just reading historical narrative of the Gospels or even other letters and epistles. You know, those we have to trace an argument. Yeah. Or narrative, we've got to kind of plot out the storyline and find the crisis and the, the uh, climax and how it, how it resolves. You know, in Old Testament poetry, we're looking at parallelism and those yeah. kinds of things. So we are bringing some skills yeah. to those. I've, you know, we know that it, we don't read uh, a blog post the same way we read a dictionary. Yeah, right. Right. We're, we're adept at the fact that different types of literature require some different reading skills. Now, our challenge in Revelation is apocalyptic literature like we've never read that before <laughs> we don't write this very we don't, often we, yeah we're not very familiar with it right i mean there are certainly some apocalyptic portions of the old testament um but it means we've got we've got to invest ourselves a little bit mm, got to do some work got to do a little bit of work although the truth is if we've been reading the bible up to this point actually we've seen symbolism before I think about John's Gospels, Gospel, where he, you know, he, 
Jesus has all these I am statements, you know, I am the vine. Is he saying he's a vine? We're not taking that literally. Yeah. What does he mean by that? I am the door. You know, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I mean, he's using this imagery to communicate something about his person and work. So actually we have used some symbolism before in the Bible. But let's be honest, in Revelation, some of it's stranger, yeah. <laughs> more unusual. Lots of eyes. <laughs> lots of eyes, lots of beasts, a dragon, all of this. Um, you know, w- w- a key thing to understand the imagery in the Old Testament, in, in Revelation, is use your cross-references. Where you see, you see a cross-reference, oh, like, so John didn't just make this up. This is actually... He, been described before us this reality has been described for us by one of the old testament prophets so you'll see it in daniel i was going to ask that how much how central is the old testament to the book of revelation essential i mean we 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 really can't interpret revelation rightly without without going to the old testament now what's tricky is you know most like when you read through the book of hebrews all of those quotations in the old testament they're kind of set out for us yeah and the, and, and the writer tells us maybe, you know, where they came from. Now, the tricky part about Revelation is it's not so much quotes from the Old Testament. It's more allusions. Mm. So you got to kind of be ready to pick up on that. Now, and, of course, you know, probably John's first readers, they were more immersed in the Old Testament. So they might have recognized him a little quicker than you and I will. It requires a familiarity with the Old Testament. Maybe that's one of the most practical things we could be doing. You want to better understand Revelation, make sure you know your Old Testament. But this is a beautiful thing about having a Bible with cross-references. <laughs> Any, do, you, do you happen to know anybody who publishes Bibles, by the way? I've heard of a few yeah, somewhere around some here. Yeah. So, you know, this is a beautiful thing about cross-references. Use them when you are studying the book of Revelation because, you know, there, was a, there, there are a few places in Revelation where that's going to be the key that unlocks the door to understanding of why that's being said there or why that imagery is there, seeing how it was used and meant in the Old Testament. It's going to guide you into a right understanding of what John is communicating. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's so helpful. And you know, that just even speaks to other tools that are out there, whether they're books or commentaries or study Bibles. There are so many resources now available to us, to all of us listening here, uh, to, to better understand some of these things. Uh, so one of the other things that's uh, prominent in the book of Revelation that you've already referenced is this number seven. And I wonder if we can, you can just comment on what it is about the number seven that is so significant here, and what, what role does that play in our understanding of this book? Numbers have a lot of meaning throughout scripture, including here, and especially here, in the book of Revelation. Uh, if you think about seven, where's the first place we see seven? In Genesis, seven days of creation. Mm. It's this sense of completion, of perfection. And so when we, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? Then the last book of the Bible, where the story is coming to completion mm. and we're entering into perfection uh, that a lot of things are going to come in sevens Mm. so you know there are a number of ways to outline or organize the book 
probably not surprising, you could divide it up into seven sections. And as you get into Revelation, uh, you've got seven seals that get opened and seven trumpets that are blown and seven bowls of wrath that are poured out. And all of these, you're, what's being communicated is this sense of completion and um, leading to perfection. And so I think going back to the title and the Beatitudes, the fact that there's seven, just even that would say to us, these are the things, these are leading into perfect ultimate, complete, pervasive blessing. Not just like an occasional one, but a fullness Mm. of the blessing that God has intended for us all along. Mm. So this new book, Blessed, uh, is is available now, Uh, but we're also excited to announce today that uh, we've been working on something else with you for a few months now, Uh, a brand new podcast, released by Crossplay featuring you, where you are exploring the book of Revelation uh, through some pretty interesting conversations that you've been having. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about what you're doing with that. Oh, this has been so much fun. So over the recent months, as I have traveled around to different places, I have sat down with some of the people that I have learned the most from and admire who I think have a lot to contribute to anyone who wants to kind of go beneath the surface and really grasp the book of Revelation. And a number of these I've talked to have written incredible books that have been helpful to me in terms of understanding Revelation. For example, Tom Schreiner, who's just written The Joy of Hearing for you all. And and he also wrote about Revelation in the um, expository commentary series, which I found helpful. Uh, To get to talk to Vern Poitras, who I just admire Hmm. so much. He could probably sit down right here and just quote the whole book of Revelation. Because do (laughs) you know he has the whole book at one time or another? He's had the whole book of the Bible, memorized every book in the Bible. I did not know that. All right. We have to talk about him that next time. He's a remarkable man. Yes. And he wrote, you know, a fabulous book on on Revelation, and he's written a number of other resources on it, especially on that idea of how to organize it. So it was fun to get to talk to him about that, and honestly, a privilege uh, to talk about to, to Jim Hamilton about the the promised shaped patterns hmm. that are in Revelation was a joy. I loved talking to Johnny Gibson about he has this statement I heard him say a long time ago I'm going to botch it so you'll have to listen to the (laughs) podcast episode for it but he talks about uh, Genesis being the story about um, a a new creation for uh, God's son and his bride to live in an eternal Sabbath rest something like that I was close all right and that then when you get to Revelation that's all restored. That comes mm. to its full fruition. Just what we saw in Genesis, it, it comes about. So it's mm. fun to talk to him about that. Uh, I talked to Russell more about courage because I think just having watched his life over the last few years, his refusal to compromise, and that that's a important call in the book of Revelation, and just courage for a bold allegiance to Jesus Christ. I've not only seen it in his life, but also I know he knows and loves the scriptures. So it was it was fun to talk with him mm. about that aspect of the book of Revelation and then to talk to Karen Ellis, who works with persecuted peoples all over the world mm. about this element and aspect of Revelation that's all about persecution. You know, I wanted to know 
what does the book of Revelation mean to persecuted peoples? Mm. And how does this picture of people, you know, crying out for vindication, um, how does that strike persecuted peoples? And how should that impact how we think about modern day persecuted peoples? And then my last interview I just actually did last week with Greg Beale. Uh, I wanted to talk with him as someone who uh, once embraced dispensational theology, which I think a lot of us come to the book of Revelation. Maybe we've never heard that term dispensational, uh, but maybe we grew up with an approach to Revelation based on dispensational theology because it's been so dominant in Christian media over um, recent centuries. And so it was... It was fun to just talk with him about, uh, you know, leading a discussion about the book of Revelation. Where are the tricky points going to be and what should we keep in mind in that regard? So Mm. a lot of really fun conversations with, oh, I forgot about Andrew Satch, my conversation partner in the UK, um, who talked about what we just talked about in terms, especially the Old Testament. He's one of the most creative Bible teachers I've ever sat under. And, and I had, I listened through his uh, sermon series on revelation while I was writing this book and found it helpful at numerous points. So anyway, I just had, I hope other people enjoy them as much as (laughs) I enjoy them because I really loved having these conversations. No, they really are remarkable. And I think as you've even indicated in, sharing a little bit about uh, the different conversations you had. Some of them are very focused on the exegesis and kind of getting into the weeds of the biblical theology, but then others are, are looking at some of those more applicational elements to this book. And as you've said, the, the, that's such an important piece of the puzzle. If we miss that, uh, we really are missing the real message here. And that, that, it's a great uh, way to end with a, a final question for you. I actually want to read uh, a quote from the book and then just have you explain that to us a little bit more. You write, if we can explain every symbol, identify every Old Testament allusion, and trace every connection, but are still intimidated by the world's opinion of us, still enamored with the world's wealth, still attracted by the world's comfort and pleasure, then we will not truly have heard and kept the book of Revelation's message. We will not have truly understood and embraced the book. Unpack that for us. I was thinking about the average person who participates in Bible study and on a book like Revelation, I think it can be so easy to come to it and you brought your mind and, you know, you you just want to, you do want to figure out every symbol and, you know, nail it down and get all of those references and it can be an endeavor of just the mind. And let me tell you, I am all for an endeavor of the mind right. when it comes to the Bible. I mean, got to be ready to think. Be ready to think that this is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the mind is important to figure things out. But I think that if we, the book of Revelation, in fact, the whole of the Bible, to come to it and just have this great knowledge about how to parse it out and what it means. If, if it's not changing us on the inside, if it's not, you know, so much of repentance, so much of revelation is a call to repentance. When I think about all those letters to the seven churches, he keeps calling us to repent and he's pointing out the problems. These 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 problems of compromise and shrinking back in the face of persecution. And uh, 
So as we come to Revelation, I, I just want people to, along with me, I, I want this for myself as much as anybody else who's reading it, that as much or more than simply understanding it, I want it to challenge me to the core mm. in these areas of my life that it would, and it has done this, it has me thinking more and more about the boldness versus sometimes the timidity mm. of my allegiance to Christ really has me thinking about money. Because I think actually you get to the sections about Babylon and all the comfort that our money buys. Uh, I think Revelation really challenges us in that regard. And just throughout the book, all of the, all of the ways that they would have been tempted to compromise with the world. The world is such a character in this book mm. in terms of the world's ways. And, and when I say the world, a world that's set against Christ, yeah. that's set against God and, and against God's people, and yet is so alluring. That's the amazing thing in the book of, of Revelation. We see this Babylon, the great, sitting on many waters, and she's quite alluring. And mm. I think anybody who reads it knows that the world is alluring. It's, it's comfort. It's material wealth. I mean, you know, it's just described in all of these ways of beautiful clothing and jewels and stuff. It, it, it is a t temptation to find our home in it, to find our purpose in it, to value it, to trust that it's what's going to bring us and i'm going to put this in air quote the blessedness mm -hmm. that we really long for and so i do hope that pe people when they read revelation yes i hope their minds will be stimulated i hope they'll over and over again they'll they'll read something think wow that's clearer to me now mm, yeah than it was i've got a little bit more clarity about what that means or what that represents yes i hope that happens but what I really long for is that people would finish the book and that they will have heard and heeded its call to bold allegiance to Jesus Christ. Because I got to say, Matt, it's not just in other parts of the world where it's going to, it's getting harder and harder mm -hmm. to boldly align ourselves with the person of Jesus Christ. And with the holy life that he calls us to, that's getting more and more challenging. So we need that call. We need to heed that call. And we need to heed that call to refuse to compromise with the world. It's going to cost us. And we may discover that the world, what it uses, the, the terms it uses in Revelation 11 is that the people who are bold witnesses for Christ, they get trampled. And that the world celebrates that they've been trampled. Mm. They exchange presents like Christmas Day. Here's these trampled people. And we shouldn't be surprised mm. if that's how the world treats us. But that's why Revelation holds out blessedness. It's seeking to convince us. Those with, that's just a short-term loss. A short-term looks-like defeat. But at the same time, it says that we might be trampled. It says that just like our Savior three days later, receive the breath of life again. So will we. It holds out to us this promise of resurrection life and a life of blessedness that's so far beyond what this world could ever deliver to us. And 
what it delivers to us, we can sure will one day be taken from us. But instead, it holds out a blessedness that can never be taken from us, that we'll get to enjoy into all eternity. And I just got to say, that's that's the kind of blessedness I want. Mm. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for helping us to, I think, see a little bit maybe more clearly how this incredible biblical book that we are so often intimidated by, that, that, it, that we neglect it uh, to our own loss. Uh, thank you for helping us. Thank you. That was Nancy Guthrie on the timely message of the book of Revelation. For more, be sure to check out her book with Crossway, Blessed, Experiencing the Promise of the Book of Revelation. Pick up your copy of the book for 30% off directly from Crossway by visiting crossway.org plus. That's crossway.org slash plus. And don't forget to subscribe to the Blessed Podcast with Nancy Guthrie, which officially launches on May 4th. Learn more about the show and subscribe today at crossway.org slash blessed podcast. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.